Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam Cronin. I'm Justin Clark. And today, just after the third presidential debate in Houston, we're discussing the future of the Democratic Party, part two. So just like in part one, we have our political correspondent on the line, Brett Ewer. It's great to have you, as always. <laughs> always good to be on, guys. Nice. So since this is a follow-up to episode 54, I want to ask you guys if you would like to update your predictions on who you think is most likely to be the presidential nominee, who you think is should be the presidential nominee, and also discuss policy issues that were brought up during the debate. But before we get into that, let's start just by talking about who did well, who didn't well. So what do you guys think? Who, who stood out and who did not? Justin, you first. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think I think Biden just kind of he's he's the most commanding on the stage just because he's like the most, you know, he sounds the most right presidential. Now. Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's definitely the most presidential. Um, I always like Buttigieg's performances on these. I think he's really smart, and I personally think he's persuasive. He doesn't, you know really appeal very emotionally. And I think uh, Beto was very emotional being in Texas mm-hmm. just after the, the shootings in El Paso. Um, so that was interesting. Um, I'd never, this, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I never really like Bernie's performances at these debates. Well, and I, he seems, yeah. well I he usually seems like his like performances, a, but on this one, it seemed like the worst I had ever seen him. I mean, he was red faced. It sounded like he had lost his voice just before, so it was yeah, he's a sore throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, he just kind of seems like a, a bitter, jaded guy. That's that I don't. I don't know. He doesn't seem very presidential. I, I like his ideas, and especially when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, when he was just like calmly talking about his policies, contrasted to this. I don't mm-hmm. know. I just I didn't really get a good feel for it. I didn't like Kamala Harris, but that's kind of typical of me. Um, she, her little comment and jabs at Trump, like that was her whole shtick this time. Um, like yeah. she she's got to start thinking for herself and like developing her own policies. I think a little bit more, or at least communicating them better, rather than just like bashing Trump every time that she gets the mic. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm curious what your guys thoughts Yeah, what do you think, Brett? Yeah, I mostly agree. I think, you know, full disclosure, I tend to to align more with Sanders and Warren, and I thought Sanders' performance was just not great. Um, He was put on defense for Medicare for All, like, the entire time that they were talking about health care. And, you know, Senator Warren largely kind of, you know, she she kind of she kind of like <laughs> she was trying to straddle the line between Bernie and Biden, but I don't think that did her any any favors because it's hard to be as extreme as Bernie. And that's one thing that's good about Bernie is he'll always just take the hard line and unapologetically say, yeah, middle classes taxes will go up. But guess what? People aren't going to go bankrupt for health care costs, whereas mm-hmm. Warren wouldn't really say whether or not middle class taxes would go up even when people asked her repeatedly and that's not a good look people i think like decisive candidates um and you know that's why i think you know to some degree i think that's why 
why Donald Trump was so successful was mm-hmm. because even though he's a blathering idiot who is saying terrible things, I mean, he's at least decisive about what he says. Right. Uh, and, and the same with Sanders. You know, that's not to create some sort of false equivalence. But mm-hmm. uh, but, yeah, Warren's performance was not great. I thought uh, Beto O'Rourke's, uh, you know, he had a renaissance because mm-hmm. he had kind of fallen into obscurity. And then, you know, he got an extra jolt, uh, unfortunately, from you know, a massive tragedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But let's see how well that plays out for him. I mean, you know, there was already one candidate, Eric Swalwell, who made, uh, who has since dropped out, who made Mm -hmm. gun control his, you know, premier plank of his platform. And, you know, it, it, it gets a lot of play, but uh, is it enough really to sustain a campaign? That's, that's my skepticism. Yeah, I I would agree with you guys. I think Biden had his best debate yet. I think a lot of people in the first and second debate are like, oh man, is this guy able to last four years, let alone eight years, given his his cognitive state? But in this debate, I was shocked at how commanding he was. And he made some really good, reasonable points. He even took a shot directly at Warren's uh, healthcare plan, which is similar to Bernie's saying something to the effect of, you know, my healthcare plan will cost, you know, uh, $740 billion, but it won't cost $30 trillion. You know, $3.4 mm-hmm. trillion a year is what the Warren's healthcare plan would cost. And that's twice what the federal budget is. So how are you going to pay for it? And, you know, Warren really didn't have a good answer. She couldn't respond. And, mm-hmm. and I think it just in general, Biden did a really good job of aligning himself with Obama and being the candidate that's reasonable, that's not going to bankrupt the country. And that's, you know, I think he was really strong, felt really safe. I think Warren was like, she really had an opportunity to shine since this was the first time all 10 candidates were on the stage. And she really missed that opportunity in my mind. She didn't have good answers, but she still did better than Bernie. And Mm -hmm. Bernie just... I don't know if he his uh, aides had him take too much Adderall before or caffeine pills or what it was, but I mean he looked like he was about to explode, and mm-hmm. that that was just you know you, you don't want someone like that as commander in chief uh, just mm-hmm. from a persuasion level, and then yeah Kamala Harris it seemed like she was too mean spirited just talked about Trump no matter what the issue was. It seemed like uh, Julian Castro was also mean-spirited, uh, you know, just mm-hmm. just ripping on Biden for his old age when it wasn't really warranted. Um, just yeah, and everyone else well. even came to his defense. They're like, dude, like we're we don't need to be like fighting amongst each other. And he was like, this is the debate. It's like it, like trying to make it clear that that it's okay. I don't know. I didn't I didn't like that. Right. It's always it's always a safe move for candidates to criticize. President Trump, right? That's always the fallback. And so when you saw Senator Harris do that, it just, it didn't ring really sincere, I thought. It felt too prepared. Yeah. Well, let's let's Um, talk about what the candidate's strategies were going into it. So like, what do you think like Harris's strategy was going into it versus Biden's strategy versus Yang's? We haven't talked about Yang yet. I would think that the moderate strategy you know, I'd say the moderate wing here is, you know, Biden, Harris, 
Buttigieg, Booker, O'Rourke, Castro, right? They're the people that were in office and, you know, largely supportive and uh, Senator Klobuchar, uh, largely in support of, you know, they've long been with the Democratic establishment. Uh, you know, their strategy should, I thought, I mean, I would think would be to, you know, attack the front runner, Biden, because his voters are more likely to to support their candidacies. You know, a, a Sanders voter is probably not going to support Pete Buttigieg. Right. That's just not going to. Um, but it kind of just seemed haphazard. Everyone was just taking shots at everyone right. else. It was, it was well, pretty fun. Well, part of the difficulty <laughs> is that Joe Biden has aligned himself so closely with Obama that in order to contrast yourself with Joe Biden, you have to contrast yourself with Obama. And Obama was a very popular candidate and president. And even among a lot of rural white voters who voted for Trump in the most recent election were Obama supporters early on. So you saw candidates like Warren and Sanders and Klobuchar wanting to contrast with Obama, but then like sort of paying homage to him too, of like, he paved the way, but we got to go further. And it just wasn't a strong persuasion. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about Yang's, uh, Yang's proposal to give 10 people a thousand dollars a month for an entire year? I mean, was that a brilliant growth hack or what? <laughs> it, it should, it should have, uh, you know what? So I love that idea. And I don't, it's legally dubious. Like, I right, don't know if, right. if like, an election You can't committee, give campaign money to, to voters to buy them. Like, but it's, you could make an argument that that's like part of your, you know, it's his premier policy plank. So like maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a pilot program. You can right, try to right. let the courts figure mm-hmm. that out. But what really bugged, uh, just bugged the shit out of me. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Really? <laughs> bleep that out uh no what really bugged the shit out of me was everyone smirking right after he did that yeah just so dismissive yeah. of any Buddha you know, was he... like well that's an interesting policy oh, oh i haven't seen that one it's... before oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it almost seems like there is i mean i know the yang gang on twitter has talked about how there's a media conspiracy to not give him airtime because they're afraid that if enough people hear about what Andrew Yang's plan is, they're going to be in support of it. And you kind of got that vibe on the debate stage where Andrew Yang was being his authentic self and making really good points, I thought. But other candidates sort of just like brushed him aside, like, okay, let's let the grown-ups talk now about like the real policies. And I think Yang is a sleeper. If I had to, I know that right now a lot of the polls say that it's a three-way race between Biden, Warren, and uh bernie but i would actually say that i think the third most likely candidate after biden and warren is yang because he's i think Mm. bernie has pretty much capped out his support like i I don't see him getting a lot of extra support but i could see yang getting much more support once more americans are just simply aware of him and his policies Mm -hmm. He's been growing a lot on social media, too. Like, I'm Twitter. just curious. He was trending yeah. on Twitter the entire debate more than any other candidate. Yeah. Probably well, just also, from his opening statement. Right, right. <laughs> Probably. I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind that he's, that you know, a small sliver of the public actually uses Twitter. Right, um, right. So, you know, we can't really, and that it's definitely demographically skewed. But I agree with 
you and you know I largely sympathize with people in Yang's camp who say that the media uh, you know did this blackout on him I mean mm -hmm. we should recognize that even though the media as an institution strives for objectivity there's no that doesn't exist there's always going to be a slant or a focus and if you're forthright about it then you know consumers of the media will understand and will generally give you some you know some leeway like i'm going to get my news from reuters and associated press the wires because they just straight up report they very right. often don't you know uh yeah so, I and mean, i saw on twitter it was trending hashtag let yang speak because he wasn't getting enough speaking time I think he had by far the lowest, uh, like the fewest number of words spoken. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he had he had half the number of words spoken as Biden, or less than half, according to um, five thirty eight. So right, so yeah, I'm, I think now maybe it'd be good to talk about the actual issues that were discussed because there was a lot of blows from one side or the other. But the biggest issue. To, at least to me, that was talked about the most was healthcare, Medicare for all. So, who do you guys think had the best take on healthcare and Medicare for all? And who do you think did not have a good take? You I know, mean, personally, I personally, I liked Buttigieg's line of Medicare for all who want it. What do you guys think yeah. about that as, as opposed to Warren or, or Bernie, Bernie's plan? I like it. I mean, I, I think that a more moderate approach and in, in trying to get rid of private health care is probably a bad idea, but we should have the public option like they're talking about. If people need to get health care, then give them a public option that anybody can opt into. Or, you know, that was that was a semantic difference. You know, um, was it uh, who was it? Sorry, um, Castro was saying like Biden, you have to opt in or something. And they were like arguing oh, about yeah, that's semantics. When it was really the, frustrating. The cheap to... shot on his old. Yeah. So here's yeah. exactly what happened in that. So Joe Biden was talking about his health care plan and how it would be far less expensive than Warren's plan and Bernie's plan. And then Castro basically says, oh, but the real difference is that in my plan, if you can't afford health care, you'll be automatically enrolled in Medicaid. So therefore, my plan is furthering Obama's legacy, your plan is not. And then Biden says, that's not true at all. My plan also would automatically enroll people who couldn't afford it in Medicaid, which is true. And the fact checkers found that that was true. But then Castro basically said, oh, two minutes ago, you said that that wasn't the case. Are you forgetting what happened two minutes ago? Are you a senile old man, essentially? Mm -hmm. And that was just, I mean, I, I like at that point, I was like, man, I couldn't like I used to have kind of favorable views on Castro. But now I'm just like, that was not a that was a low blow and wasn't even warranted. Like he didn't he didn't forget what happened two minutes ago, at least in that instance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that backfired massively. Like he should if he wants to. If he wants to play on the, you know, Biden losing his memory angle he should let other people do that for him no one on the debate stage should be saying are you losing your memory that doesn't right. that's not going to play well especially because most voters are older <laughs> and they may be losing their memory and they're not going to take kindly to that kind of criticism 
No, not at all. Uh, you know, in terms of like who, in terms of the plans presented, I, I tend to lean toward Medicare for all, even if it does get rid of private insurance. J largely just from a political level, I think, uh, you know, when, let's assume a Democratic president is elected uh, and they're proposing a legislative agenda, you know, if, if they, you don't come to the negotiating table asking for what you want, right? You come asking for more. And then the Republican Party is not going to, they're never going to be fine with the public option. You want to shift the Overton window over to the left mm. uh, so that, so that, you know, the, the discussion now, I mean, and that, that has largely happened since the 2016 election, since Bernie introduced Medicare for all, we're now actually debating a full universal single payer healthcare program rather than, you know, the, in 2009 or 2010, when the ACA was passed, you know, the public option was seen as the radical lefty idea. Uh, right. So, you know, I think it's important to balance that with also electability. You don't want to. Yeah, you wanna I get the idea something. that, you know, if you shoot for the stars and you miss, you'll still end up in, in the moon kind of thing. And Trump definitely did that with saying we're going to deport all illegal and like legal immigrants. And then, of course, it's like the actual implementation is you know, far, far less than that. But I think one thing that's changed is that it used to be the case that you were you sort of went to the left in the Democratic primaries. And then when the when the you know, the real election, the general election, you would move more to the center. But I think now with like all the attack ads and everything that gets used against you in the general election, if you go too far to the left and people have been concerned that you know, the government's not always great at running things like with the DMV, DMV and the VA and people aren't, you can't just assume that the government's going to do a fantastic job with healthcare. You can't assume that right out of the gates, it's going to be better quality and cheaper than private insurance. So people like Buttigieg and, and Biden who support a public option, that would create some real competition where you know, the private insurance companies, if they see that there's a, a lower option that the government provides to everyone, they will likely lower their their prices. They may become more efficient. They may get some, rid of some of their administrators so that it's a more efficient system. And overall, the healthcare quality could go up while the costs go down because there's this free market competition. Now, the, the only re like good argument against that, I would say, is that Overall, it, we would just be spending too much money on health on healthcare when you take into account like the co you know private healthcare expenditure and the public option. So therefore, it would be more efficient to just have one single payer option and just focus all our energies on that. So I can sort of see that, but personally, I feel like it might be safer to keep that competitive uh, you know free market between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I, I can, I can buy that argument. You know, I think it, it, you know, if there's any difference of opinion there, it comes down to just different premises on what, you know, might work or might not. Mm -hmm. uh, but now there, yeah, was, it's, there was one other like really good burn that Biden had. And at a certain point I was like, Oh, Biden is on fire right now. Like I literally <laughs> thought that to myself, but it was right after, uh, Bernie was talking about how, you know, Canadians and people in other countries, they pay half as much for healthcare as we do, and they get better outcomes. And he brings this up, which is a really persuasive point, 
But then Biden just says, yeah, this is America. <laughs> and everyone's like, boom. <laughs> but, and you know, maybe, you know, Bernie had a good point. So I don't know if that necessarily negates the point, but it was good persuasion. And it is true that America spends a lot more on healthcare innovation and like developing new drugs. So you can't quite compare apples to apples with like Canada and the US. Sure. But he had some great moments like that where you're just like, wow, like that was good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, rhetorically, that's pretty strong. And, you know, before people discount Biden, you know, I'm not I'm not really a supporter at this stage. But before people discount him, he's been around a long time. You have to have some political acumen to <laughs> to, you know, not get taken down. I mean, to shore up your base, even though he was representing Delaware, which is, you know, Yeah, it's not exactly the most challenging uh, constituency to have to appeal to. I don't know the population, but, Mm -hmm. you know, probably like a million people. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about gun control. So which of the candidates do you think, you know, obviously Beto had the most impassioned mm -hmm. response about gun control. And he also probably spent the most time talking about it. I mean, even in his opening statement, he was saying that it seemed to me like Beto was really making the case that we are in a crisis right now. At one point, he even said, we have a white supremacist in the White House. It's because he basically blamed Trump for the shooting in El Paso. And he said, our president directed this shooting, you know, being that it was in his home hometown of El Paso, which is right near Trump's border wall, that the president was directing all of this negative energy towards that area. And then someone basically took that line of reasoning and made it a reality by, you know, bringing their assault rifle to Walmart. And then he went even further to say, hell yes, we're coming to take your AR-15. We're coming to take your AK-47. So mm-hmm. Beto definitely had the strongest line on gun control. I'm curious what you guys thought about that, if you thought it was effective, if you thought it was maybe a mistake, given what you know general, general election voters think, and what you think of maybe any of the other candidates' responses on gun control. Yeah, I mean, he had, like you said, he had an extremely strong emotional argument. Um, but I think it was primarily driven by emotions. And I think... Cory Booker actually had the most reasonable argument. He and this we talked about this in our gun control episode. Like, look, most gun violence is not mass shootings. Most gun violence happens in the streets with gang violence. I live in one of those neighborhoods. And I thought he was like, look, we we don't want to discount this this tragedy this tragedy and all of these mass shootings, but we got to do something about the common gun violence. And I I just thought his his stance was a little more like, like he took a step back and realized like, okay, like we're, we're in, we're like right after this massive shooting, but we still need to be reasonable about this. We need to, mm. we need to really fix the problem, not just have a knee jerk reaction to these, these sorts of events. Um, so I liked, yeah. I liked his response as well. I, you know, I really liked his response too. And it's a shame that we do so much of policymaking is knee jerk reaction. Right. Like if you have people whose term limits are two years, they're constantly campaigning mm-hmm. while they're in office. They have to be doing something that, you know, uh, so so I think, you know, I, I agree with with uh, Senator Booker's point. But I think with Beto, 
what was so masterful about his performance, and I hate to reduce what could be an authentic emotional reaction to a horrific tragedy as a performance, mm -hmm. but his performance was amazing. He came across as authentic. You could hear, I was rewatching parts of the debate, and when he's describing the 15-year-old girl who was shot and killed and bleeding out for an hour, you could hear his voice quiver. Yeah. I mean, he sounded like he was about to cry. And, you know, putting aside the, you know, the, the sort of sexist, like, oh, if a woman cries, you know, she's seen as weak, a man cries, he's seen as, you know, having emotional breath, putting right. that aside and considering it, you know, he came across as authentic, which is what people want. They totally. want to vote for someone that they know as a human, you know, right. someone who's not a walking press release. You know? Yeah, and I think that was contrasted most strongly with Kamala Harris on the gun debate issue, because there was one there was one part where Kamala Harris was saying like they asked him they asked her about uh, gun control and Joe Biden was saying like well there's certain things that we just can't do by executive order, and Kamala Harris was like, hey Joe. Instead of saying no, we can't. Let's say, how about we say yes, we can. And then she giggled at her own joke, which wasn't even funny. Like, <laughs> and and then right after that, Biden says it's called the Constitution, <laughs> and and I was like, oh, Biden gets another burning. Damn. I mean, <laughs> you got you got to think like how many of the people on stage. I think it's most of the moderates. Like. How many of them who are polling pretty low are actually just sticking in this so that they can get enough delegates? Yeah. So that they can just to get some have, attention. Yeah, and have a bargaining chip at the convention so that you know they can get a cabinet position or something. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, keep their profile up. And for the younger members like like Buttigieg, uh, if he were if he got a cabinet position, great. Now he has the qualifications to run for president again. Right. You know. Right. So, now, what do you guys think of, so in the gun debate, Warren proposed getting rid of the filibuster as a way to sort of jam through gun control legislation. Do you, what do you guys think about that suggestion? Is it radioactive? Is it going to backfire? Or? <laughs> I mean, I think that would just lead to more back and forth. Like we're just, cause then the Republicans will have the same situation and then we're just going to be swinging back and forth between these policies. If it's just easier to pass policies. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Brett? Yeah, it, it's, this is, you could like write a book on this. I mean, on the filibuster itself and I'm sure there are books. Um, I think it's a pretty bold move and it's exactly right for a primary but getting rid of the filibuster, you know, it always seems like Democrats are so reluctant to get rid of these procedural hurdles because they actually understand the value of smart governance. Mm -hmm. But the Republican Party is just going to get rid of them whenever they want. Right. I mean, they had the whole nuclear option debacle a few years ago. So now, you know, to uh, to um, to approve judges uh, being nominated, you don't need. A filibuster proof majority anymore you just need you know at least for the supreme court judges i believe um but getting rid of the filibuster i actually think would probably be a good move considering that the senate is you know as the greatest deliberative body in the world who uh that's what they always say patting themselves on the back <laughs> um it, it is remarkably slow 
Mm-hmm. It, it operates on this thing, and I'm getting into the technicals here. So I'm interested. It's, yeah, I've never really quite understood it, so I'm interested to hear. Uh, our mutual friend could probably explain it a little better because he has more experience. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the Senate operates on a thing called unanimous consent, UC. And you need UC to bring an issue to the floor. Uh, so, you know, in the House of Representatives, when you bring something to the floor, the Rules Committee creates a rule about how you're going to debate any piece of legislation. Is, it, is debate going to be limited to five minutes? Hmm. Oppose, you know, the, the opposition and the, and the proponents. Uh, you know, are you going to allow open amendment process? Can you add language on the floor? That kind of thing. In the Senate, that's all determined by a unanimous consent agreement, which the majority and the minority agree on to bring something to the floor. However, any senator can withhold consent to make it not unanimous, meaning that it can't be brought to the floor. And they've effectively uh, indicated their willingness to filibuster for as long as they you know, want. Uh, so it really and you have to keep talking continuously for like, how does that part work where it's no, I actually think that they made some reforms to that a few years ago. So now you don't need to be talking continuously. Oh, really? You can, or, or even continually. Yeah, you can just it, I think it's like I would hear keep... weird stories where they would like read children's books just so they could like yeah, keep t- talking. Yeah, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz read yeah. Sam I Am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Or what? Well, uh, no, no, it's not Sam. I am. Uh, it's a uh, green eggs and ham. Sorry. Uh, it's, you know, all, all <laughs> uh, I think getting rid of it would mean that, you know, the Senate throughout its history has become more democratized. Right. So I think it was the was it, I think it was the 17th Amendment, which made senators directly elected by their constituency um, or by their by their state rather than having the legislatures elect a senator. So I think it's a natural progression. Uh, it's a shame that they do have to get rid of the filibuster to make things move. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the institutions have to change to meet the needs of everyday people. Right. Yeah, it does seem like a, an archaic rule that would make the government more efficient if it was removed. But it's hard to foresee all of the implications of what could happen with this particular administration or that particular mm-hmm. legislation. So I think now let's talk a little bit about the trade war with China just briefly. Which candidate do you think had the best take on the trade war? So, for instance, I really liked Yang's answer where he said that he wouldn't repeal China tariffs on day one, but he would work towards a solution that would help American workers, American companies, and even Chinese workers and Chinese companies, which are also hurting. So he kind of took this like, China's not necessarily the enemy, but I'm not going to just roll over and stop the tariffs on day one. I'm going to work to find a solution that works for everyone. And I thought that was really smart, uh, a smart answer. I don't know if you guys agree with that, if you had a different take. I agreed. I agree with that. I mean, I I enjoyed uh, Yang's take on that. I think, um, was it, I think Warren had a, a, she just made a statement that it's a very complex relationship between U.S. and China, and and it it is. I mean, there there are a lot of things to account for, and the people that want to just repeal tariffs on day one might be getting a little bit ahead of themselves. I think, mm-hmm. especially because uh, it seems like China has more pressure 
now than almost ever before, at least in modern recent history, given that there's the trade war going on. The Hong Kong protests have not stopped even after China, mainland China gave in on withdrawing the extradition bill completely. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it kind of seems like now is the right time to keep pushing for a, a fair trade agreement. So I thought it was smart that Yang and I mean, really, most of the candidates seem to be more like almost similar to Trump's position where we, we should renegotiate trade. I didn't hear anyone say like, oh, we, you know, we need to immediately just give China whatever they want. And mm-hmm. yeah, so, I, you know, the whole like neoliberal argument for ending the trade war is that, you know, wars don't happen in places that have extensive trade relations. Right. Um, but but when you have one side that's just clearly abusing the system, doesn't care about stealing IP, uh, mm-hmm. is willing to, you know, play games with its currency in order to fuck with other markets, you know, what are you left with at a certain point? Like, what, like, what do you do? Um, yeah. Especially when, you know, there's no shared philosophical underpinnings. Like, we have shared, you know, we have... The, the governments of Germany, France, the UK are built on Locke's ideas and all of those, you know, uh, all of the philosophers that, that, you know, substantiate the idea of a liberal democracy and capitalism is built on that. Uh, but, but China doesn't seem to embrace those same ideals. So mm-hmm. it's like, should we really be, <laughs> should we really be getting into bed here? Like, right. should we really be, work, you know, um, it seemed like a lot of the candidates were actually kind of agreed with the trade war, at least on a constituent pleasing level. Like I know um, Senator Klobuchar brought up the point about uh, supporting steel tariffs, you know, and that and that, you know, I think she was playing to the union base there. Um, but, yeah. you know, it seemed like they were all pretty much on the same page. Right. Now, let's say, well, I was going to ask about how the polls have changed, but they really, they really haven't, at least from what I've seen. So it still is Biden's far in the lead, then Warren. Warren has a similar lead over Bernie as Biden has over Warren. And then the other candidates are all pretty far behind. So that hasn't changed much. So I want to get your take on who was the most authentic, who was the most persuasive, and then let's talk about our predictions of who we think is actually likely to win. So first, who do you guys think was the most authentic and the most persuasive? They could be the same candidate or, or different candidates. You know, I think Senator Booker was probably the most persuasive. Uh, and I had kind of discounted him before, but I think out of the uh, the moderate wing that's not performing well, right, <laughs> I, think right. he's, I think he's now taken the lead in that faction. Most authentic, I still got to go with uh, Beto O'Rourke's recounting mm. of like he in a general election he committed political suicide by saying hell yes we're going to take your right. guns for but the people primary. love those definitive answers none of this pussyfooting around like well maybe in this case yeah yeah he didn't equivocate he got out there um, so I'll give him most authentic and probably Senator Booker most persuasive word Justin. So in terms of the most authentic, I totally agree. I mean, Beto O'Rourke, I think, was was the winner there. Um, in terms of persuasion, 
I don't know what draws me to Buttigieg, but he's always seeming, he seems like the most persuasive to me. And I know that, you know, different people view persuasion differently, but he seems like a guy that's smart, very reasonable. And I like those kinds of arguments. And I tend not to like the purely emotional arguments when it comes to policy, Uh, just because when you're a president, like, you have to be able to step back. You have to be able to be reasonable about certain policies and pretty much anything because there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on that that uh, president needs to deal with. Um, so, anyways, I liked him. I think also I'll give Andrew Yang props for just remaining true to his authentic mm-hmm. self, um, and I've I found his uh, performance enjoyable. At this point, I don't know if he's like very likely to win um yeah. but what um, one person yeah, i'm curious on tw- what your thoughts were <laughs> one person on twitter was saying that every time andrew yang spoke in the debate they thought he was going to open by saying hey sharks <laughs> 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 like he's on shark tag because it did sound like he's like pitching to be like, the ceo of america it's kind of like <laughs> his vibe but i mean i love that personally as someone who uh-huh. works in tech and likes efficient business operants um mm-hmm. So I agree. I thought Andrew Yang was authentic. I thought Joe Biden was authentic. And I thought Beto were authentic. So I give them the three wins. And a lot of that's because they were really to the point in their answers. They weren't trying to play, you know, be everyone to to all sides. Mm -hmm. And as far as who was the most persuasive, I, I I actually like... I don't know. I think similar to the authentic, I'd probably pick those three. I think Booker had some good moments too. But there was one moment that Julian Castro, even though I think he had a terrible night, there was one moment that I thought he really had good persuasion. And that was when he said that, quote, Donald Trump has a dark heart when it comes to immigrants. And I thought like, that's like the best persuasive tactic for a general election portraying like Trump as being this like dark force of like Darth Vader and the Sith and like (laughs) and especially as it relates to like immigration and things like that that is the kind of persuasion that I think would really work in the general so you should probably be a Marianne Williamson fan right she was (laughs) talking about like the dark side I don't think America's ready for her but and I think she's no. definitely a little bit kooky with like the anti-vaxxer and whatever. But there's a lot of truth to what she says. And her persuasion game is on point. I, I think you make a really good point there, which is that, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> the world is nuanced and it's all shades of gray. Right. That's the mm-hmm. kind of precondition I'm coming in with. But in electoral politics, uh, uh, black and white is the best way to go, you know, about right. presenting your views. Uh, you know, that's I mean, kind of Nickian contrast. You have to, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, Com- it comparing works. like the persuasion that Julian Julian Castro used of this dark force, comparing that to Hillary Clinton calling Trump Donald Duck, was yeah, like the... just the lame. <laughs> like, first of all, he's yeah. a lovable Disney character. <laughs> like, that's just not good persuasion. So I, I thought that was interesting on a meta level. But now, yeah, so. Let's talk about who you guys think actually has the best chance of winning the primary and who you think should win the primary, regardless of how long of a shot it is. 
I think the most likely is probably Biden. I mean, it's, I, I see, I don't know if I see anybody coming past and in the, the DNC can decide even if somebody else, you know, should win. I think they'll probably just decide on Biden anyways, because he's, he's moderate and he has a lot of experience. That's, that's my take on it. I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are, Brett, because you're more in that world. You are completely right that they probably can just choose um, <laughs> who, they, who they really want. I mean, last you know, last election cycle, they had that joint fundraising agreement with the Hillary Clinton campaign because the DNC, unbeknownst to everyone, uh, was bankrupt, and so they needed to tap into her donor network uh, to you know really shore it up again. But you know, this is with I'm saying this with the caveat that uh, that. We're still so far away from the election. You can't make any assumptions. Right. You know, it's we're you know, in politics, a day is a lifetime. All of that. Uh, I think I think uh, Biden will do extraordinarily well. Um, we tend to you know, the three of us being our demographic group, probably are on the internet more than most candidate or most uh, most voters, mm-hmm. and a lot of voters are old people, and they yeah. aren't. You know, they're. I think they definitely side with Biden. He's going to do really well based off of just the primary calendar. He does well with black voters and right. a lot of the early states are in the South. Uh, and yeah, Warren so, has like no support among black voters. Not really. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris will probably drop out after, uh, well, Cory Booker probably after the South Carolina uh, primary. If he doesn't do well there, or if he doesn't get a bump, he's he's probably gone. Um, Kamala Harris will take California, absolutely, and probably Nevada, which is an early state. Uh, you know, Warren and Sanders will battle over New Hampshire because that's always the easiest. You know, it's easiest for for people from bordering right. states. Yeah, it's it's going to drag on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone who's wishing for this to end quickly is going to be out of luck. Like right. it's gonna, we're gonna be so sick of this goddamn election yeah. <laughs> in six months. Well, let's we're sort of already getting into our future scenarios, so let's let's uh, just jump right into the worst case for for the Democrats and for America. So, what do you guys think is the worst case scenario for the future of the Democratic Party? Worst case scenario. You could sit, you could think of it as if this person wins the nominee, there's no way in hell they're going to beat Trump. Or you could think of it as who, if elected, would just have the worst policies for America. If Donald Trump is elected again, I think, I mean, we're screwed. I think he just has <laughs> terrible policies for America. I, I bet he will get elected again, um, just based off of the Democratic candidates that we have in the field. I don't think any one of them really captures what makes Donald Trump so special in an electoral sense, is that he's so, he's a cartoon character. He's off the cuff. He's made for the media circus. Right. And he, well, know, I have heard that one, uh, I think it was Scott Adams that said that the, the difference between Trump and a typical candidate is that he's playing off the crowd when he's giving his speeches. Like, he will change what he's saying. He will even change his position if he feels an energy shift in the crowd. Tr- like a true showman. 
Whereas these other candidates, oftentimes they're very prepared and they're afraid to go off script. And that is a, a real strength in Trump. It's like a, any good improv actor who like really feels the energy of the crowd and plays off of that. <laughs> yeah, I think we would do ourselves a great disservice um, to nominate one, just any of the like hangers on who are still somehow campaigning. Like mm -hmm. I like Bill de Blasio, but he's not that that would not pan well. Um, right. Tom Steyer, the billionaire. I like his climate work, but not a good look to have a billionaire <laughs> as your candidate when mm -hmm. you're, you know, um, I think probably the best choices. And again, you know, oh, wait, hang uh, on, hang on. We're still oh, in the yeah. worst case. So let's finish the oh, worst okay. case. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. Justin, um, what's so your worst case, Brett, is that Donald Trump gets elected, which you're saying is more likely than not. And you're saying worst case for the primary is that we elect someone who's one of the hanger ons who doesn't already have a lot of general election awareness and support. Yeah. If there's like a, if, if we choose one of the moderate contenders who's still hanging on, who's not one of the top three, uh, you know, as a compromise candidate, I don't think they're going to do well. They don't generate excitement and that's what it all matters. You know, that's what matters. Totally. Justin. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think if, if he gets selected again, it's, it's the worst case scenario. Um, but I think that even if I think Warren in particular, if she's elected, I don't know if she'll fare very well directly competing against Trump. She has a lot of like, or like the one thing, the one uh, big piece of ammunition that Trump has is the whole Native American thing with Harvard and like the whole Pocahontas, like she will never live that down. And I think, I think yeah. that his, his style of attacking is not suited to her like reasonableness and right. it's it I, I don't think that it would go well and and she's the she's the number two candidate right now and i think that it's it is fairly likely that she's going to be the main contender but i don't i honestly don't think anybody besides Bern, or besides biden has a huge shot at beating him um, but, you know, like like you said, Brett, you know, there's there's a lot of time in the, the campaigning world between now and then. So that might change. Right. I think you're right that Trump going up against Warren is just a it's not a good persuasion matchup because she has the same sort of lawyerly style that Hillary does. But mm -hmm. I think I don't think the Native American thing is as big of a deal anymore because i think it by the time it, it's around like the real general election it'll just feel played out but the mm -hmm. reason that i think warren is really uh you know the indicators are not looking positive for her is because she wasn't able to answer the hard questions about health insurance even to her own party so if you go up against trump and she's asked the same question of will middle class taxes go up and she dodges it Trump is going to eat her alive. I mean, he's going to say, you didn't answer the question. Middle class taxes are going up. I'm the guy that cut taxes by more than anyone, even though it was mm -hmm. just mostly for wealthy and corporations. He's going to just absolutely eat her alive. So there's still the possibility that she could refine her answers and really, uh, you know, have better remarks. But it wasn't looking good based on this last debate. So yeah, I mean, my, my worst case scenario was sort of in line with yours, Justin, in that who is likely to be elected that would then have the 
lowest chance of actually beating Trump. And I think that person's Warren. I think, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll save my other, you know, m best case and most likely, but yeah, let's get into the best case scenario. So regardless of, you know, likelihood of how likely they are to win, who would you guys love to see as the nominee? Who would you love to see in the White House? Best case scenario. I mean, I think... You know, and I've I've said this a few times, my sympathies are totally with the Bernie Warren wing of the party, um, particularly with Bernie, because I think he's he's kind of stayed pretty constant throughout his career and the party's now moved along with him. Um, so was he right all those years back? And he's been you know, has he been guided by conviction? That's generally what I think. And I think that that actually plays well when you're talking about a persuasion strategy, because Yes, he looks crazy, like like Donald Trump says, crazy Bernie, old, old Uncle Bernie. He looks crazy, but you know what? He still he believes what he says, mm -hmm. uh, and that's very apparent. And the fact that he's been pretty careful to not receive money from moneyed interests, unlike, you know, <laughs> for example, Joe Biden, after the climate forum, went to uh, <laughs> he had a fundraiser at the house of an executive of an oil and gas company. It's like, come on, man, people... <laughs> Once they hear that, they're going to, you know, uh, they'll sense a little hypocrisy. I think I think Bernie would do pretty well. Uh, and I think that he's actually he actually does have a decent shot um, because he and Warren have largely been, you know, they haven't been attacking each other. There's been mm -hmm. a, a pretty big truce. And if they can keep that going uh, until a lot more of the moderates fall out, then. You know, they, they have a really good shot of at the very least advancing their ideas, if not themselves. Um, so, you know, and then I, I also think, you know, I, I lean more towards Bernie as being successful here um, and as being the best case, because, frankly, I think most voters are probably kind of sexist. And like we just have these basic assumptions about like it's better to have a deep voice. <laughs> it's better to be tall. You know, if mm -hmm. we people who are quote unquote, more presidential usually have characteristics that you're just going to find in someone who's a dude, you know? So, uh, so, you know, I think that, that, you know, it's a shame, but I think that she'll probably be discounted by a lot of the electorate unfairly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Think, I think those are all, I think those are all good points and I'm with you. I th honestly on the stage, if we were to be like, who is the best, like just the best person, the most moral person, I think it would be Bernie Sanders. And I think when you have somebody like that in the White House, good things will happen. And and even if even if he does have some out there ideas, like or the the news makes it seem like his ideas are more out there than he actually is. And that's why I don't necessarily think it's entirely likely. If you have socialist in your identity, I don't think you're gonna win. And that's maybe that's unfair. But because they're going to make the equivocations yeah. of, of Venezuela, Venezuela right, and, and sure. some of those those really failed attempts at, you know, really more like communism. But, you know, it's it's more, I think his ideas are more, like he says, Canada, the Nordic countries and stuff. And those are really successful countries. And I think, I think honestly, best case would be someone like him someone like Warren. I also think Andrew Yang has some really good ideas and he's maybe a little bit more forward thinking, like where, where's technology going? How is this going to change everything? 
So he, he has that going for him too. So I think really either of those two, um, Sanders or Yang would probably be my best case. Yeah. Yeah. I think as far as Bernie, he definitely is the most straightforward with his progressive policies. And that mm-hmm. is a strength of his because when he's asked if middle taxes are going up, he's like, hell yeah. And they should, this is what needs to happen for this X, Y, and Z reason. And that's really a really strong character trait for him. But it, he's also the most extreme candidate. So, you know, de facto, he's the biggest punching bag for Republicans and Fox News to say, hey, this person's going to raise your taxes. They're going to take away your guns. They're going to turn the country into Venezuela. And that sort of tactic doesn't work with someone like Joe Biden, who's a very safe you know, yeah. goes to bed at 6 p.m., you know, watches his favorite <laughs> show, you know, like just like predictable, Wait. friendly old man. He likes ice cream, you know. Hold, hold, hold on, 6 p.m.? <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's too early. But I'm just saying, he probably goes to bed on a decent hour, you know. He wakes up, he has his, his oatmeal. Um, so I think personally, the best case scenario is the person who's most likely to beat Trump wins the nomination. And I think that person is Biden. I would also say that if Andrew Yang were to win the nomination, I think he has a similarly likely chance against Trump. I would say for both of them, it's like 45% versus 55 Trump. So I think Trump still would have the upper hand against either of them. But those are the only two candidates that I think would have a real shot at convincing rural Americans and you know, Iowa and New Hampshire and places like that. So that's my, that's my best case. But, you know, I would love if, uh, I would love if Buttigieg did well, doesn't seem as likely. And I, I had another idea that I wanted to run by you, Brett, specifically, because I remember last episode, episode 54, I said my ideal ticket would be Biden and Buttigieg. But you said that, well, Oftentimes, it's it's key to have your VP be someone who has Senate experience because they're sort of like the liaison for the Senate and making sure things are getting done there. So now I was thinking maybe my best case scenario ticket would be Biden and Klobuchar because I thought she had a really good she had some really good uh, points in the debate. She polls well in those key swing states. She is somewhat more with it. She's also a woman compared to Biden being a man. So like they have some good complementary attributes. Mm -hmm. So I think my best case scenario ticket would be Biden Klobuchar going into the general. It's interesting. I think, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you brought up this whole Senate thing because there are so many senators running. Uh, it seems like Harris might be a better VP option for him because it, it would unite, you know, yeah. it, it, she, she would, but she's been know. really taking cheap shots at him. So it, it mm-hmm. seems like it might be, it might not be totally friendly there. Whereas Klobuchar and Biden seem like pretty much on the same page. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm thinking about in terms of uniting the party, you know, you want right, to, right. you want to, you know, outreach to women, outreach to black voters and show them that, yes, you are a part of the party. There is, you know, you, mm-hmm. you should be represented in the party. Interestingly enough, I think that he could also he could possibly do the same with Warren. Um, you know, she's she's been in the Senate uh, and and 
probably not the most bipartisan, but I think that's because a lot of Republicans don't want to be associated with someone who's, you know, so much a champion of the progressive wing. Right. Um, but I think I think she could get a lot done. She knows policy through and through. She's whip smart. She's probably the smartest person on that stage yeah. uh, and who's running. And you think I she would, would be VP like as far as because that might be like she might perceive that as a step down and not not be willing to do it. Maybe. I mean, I, I would feel very comfortable with her in any policy, any yeah. position of importance. I mean, she's a great policy mind. But, it, you know, it's interesting that you bring up, would she take the VP position? And this is an idea that I've kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've talked a lot about here and I think on the podcast as well is uh, the idea of having an activist VP in the Senate. So the VP mm -hmm. is also the president of the Senate and they have an office there and they usually are hands off. They do their own project. Um, you know, like Joe Biden had the It's On Us uh, program campaign to, to end sexual assault. Uh, on mm -hmm. campuses and, and elsewhere. Um, but it would be really interesting if you had an activist VP who got involved with the workings of the Senate and really extended the executive into there as much as they wanted, uh, especially because the Senate tends to drag along. You know, kind right. of needs a little... A yeah, little even ass. if we win the presidency and the House, the Senate is... Very small chance the Senate's going to flip to Democrats. No. Yeah, yeah, there's... Yeah, there's there's very little chance. Um, so that that would be an interesting interesting move. Hmm. Certainly. Word. Well, let's get into the most likely scenario now. Most likely scenario. So we've already kind of talked about it, but let's do let's like imagine it as a bracket. So who do you think the final three are going to be? Then the final two then the nominee and then predicting whether they beat Trump or not. How do you guys see it going down? I think Biden is going to remain at the top of the candidate list for pretty much the whole time. I, I, I think that he will be the one that goes against Trump in 2020. Um, but these early predictions sometimes never work out. There might be an underdog story. Like he, I mean, like you said, the Andrew Yang is growing really fast. If he gets more time in the news, and and there's been some recent um, issues, like some someone I read about it this morning. I don't remember the name, but someone on Saturday Night Live made a racist comment towards Andrew right. Yang, and now he's going to potentially sit down with him and have that conversation. And I think stuff like this is potentially going to get him in the main race. So that would be interesting. Um, but I don't think he is running on enough. Um, he doesn't have enough experience, I think, to to beat Biden because he he's pretty much only running on the freedom dividend. Mm -hmm. he, he's very reasonable and he's super smart. I think he would do a good job. But I don't know if that's how a lot of people would perceive his candidacy. Maybe he needs to be like a secretary of commerce first or something like that. Right. Yeah. That would be an excellent position for him, especially because, I mean, he's absolutely right. There mm -hmm. are going to be, you know, I, sometimes I think about, I'll walk by the Teamsters building. The Teamsters represent the, the truckers. It's one of the most powerful unions. Right. I'll walk by them on the Hill and I'll think you guys have to be doing something about automation. Right. Like, like yeah. this is going to happen. It. 
yeah, I mean, it's going to happen in the next 20 years. What are you going to do? I mean, right. are, are you just going to evaporate? Um, you got to give it to Andrew Yang. He's the only one talking about this issue. And mm-hmm. I was reading through his website after the debate uh, because he did a good job of plugging. Yeah. Go to go to Yang2020.com and tell us what $1,000 a month would mean for you. Yeah, and then I was like, like, oh, my God, compared to Biden's like, got, call 31110 <laughs> Biden. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Can we cover the fact that Joe Biden talked about uh, a record player? Oh, my <laughs> using God. Oh, yeah, that was the biggest gap. <laughs> yeah, well, so here's here's the context for that. So Biden was trying to say that if, you know, there are studies that if you're in a poor upbringing, but you stimulate your children's minds by playing the radio or baby Mozart or whatever, they will develop at better rates than they would otherwise. But the way he said it was like, he's like, yeah, he's like, we got to make sure that, you know, that the TV is or or no, that the the radio, the record players on at night, the the kids got to hear the words. (laughs) And it's like, (laughs) oh, he's talking about like the phonograph and like old technologies, but so that was his worst moment, I agree. But fortunately, it was late in the debate. And I thought he made a lot of good points early on. I guess the question that's always on my mind is, how much does it matter their overall performance of the debate versus the little sound bites that can go viral for and be used like from now until the 2020 election? And that was definitely not a good sound bite. But on the other hand, that's part of why he's lovable. He's like an old man who makes gaffes and yeah, he still thinks we're living in the age of of radio of, you know, record players and <laughs> but, you know, that makes him kind of safe. Like he's not going to do some crazy out there futuristic thing. He's just going to keep the, you know, keep things running as they were during the days of Obama. So, yeah. Yeah, that's he's not going to be able to outrun that one for a while. A lot of people are pretty angry about it. A lot of people are also saying that there's like, you know, a racial element there. It's like the discussions about, you know, uh, reparations and, you know, there's the, there's sort of a shift in discussion to, uh, you know, well, what are you doing now when it's like, well, hold on. The, the, they were talking about like how to, you know, level playing field from, (laughs) from literal ownership of people. (laughs) Like now they're talking about a record player. What are you doing? Well, the one, (laughs) uh, the one, anchor who was speaking in Spanish, he brought up a comment that Joe Biden made 40 years ago, which was something like, I'll be damned if I'll pay for something my, you know, was my ancestors fault hundreds of years ago in regards to, you know, slavery or reparations, which is if that was said today, that would be a very damning statement. But the fact that it was 40 years ago, it's like, I just don't see that as being persuasive to the average voter. If anything, it's a good indicator of how much America has progressed since then, where we have grown and and, uh, you know, things that were not acceptable even five or 10 years ago are now seen as something that is of a standard right for all Americans. You know, I I really don't get the whole uh, gotcha kind of like critique of like, oh, you you said this this long ago. And it's like, yeah, that long ago he was he had a bad opinion. The way to counter that, I think a bad opinion, a bad take 
the way to counter that is by saying, yes, I was wrong. I've grown as a person. Right. I'm I, I take in new information and experiences and I evaluate them like someone who's engaged with the world and I change my mind. It's not just, you know, you shouldn't yeah. have to. Well, you know, I, I like the way Biden typically handles that because he'll just smile and he's like, here we go again, you know, and it's and he doesn't get mad. He doesn't get frazzled. He'll answer it. But yeah, I don't think those kind of I mean, the only barbs against Biden are that he's old or that he used to say things that wouldn't be acceptable today. And neither of those are very persuasive in my yeah. mind. I mean, aside from policy disagreements, you know, you can have those. Yeah. Right. 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 All right. Um, any final final thoughts? I mean, I think we we pretty much rounded it home. So I would say that I'm going to stick with my prediction that it's going to end up being Biden, Warren, and Yang, not Bernie. That's my prediction. And then it's going to end up being just Biden and Warren. So I don't think Yang's going to get an, enough support to be in the top two. But then I think Biden is going to pull out ahead of Warren. And then I think Biden is going to have a 45 to 55% chance of beating Trump. If Warren wins, so if it goes Biden, Yang, Warren, and then Biden, Warren, and then Warren wins, I think she has like a 10% to a 90% chance of beating Trump. And if Yang wins, then I think it's similar to Biden. It's like 45 to 55% chance. So those are my most likely predictions. Yeah, I'm thinking that it's going to be probably Biden, Warren, Sanders, you know, as it is now. As more of the moderates drop out, Biden's going to get little bumps. Same with Warren, probably. Sanders, maybe. Um, I think he's got staying power just because he has he has great ground game um, mm -hmm. and he has a lot of different institutions that he's created uh, right. to support him. Like justice Democrats and our revolution aren't going away. I mean, they, you know, they've mm -hmm. sustained his campaign since 2016. Um, I think it will ultimately come down to, you know, at some point there's going to be a break in the truce and Warren and Sanders are going to, you know, go after each other. Biden will pick up more support. One of the two, you know, Warren or Sanders will will drop eventually. And it's going to be I guarantee it's going to be a brokered convention um, hmm. where it's going to the, the fight will go on into July in Milwaukee. Um, it's not going to help that, you know, there's so much beer around there. Everyone's going to be drunk. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's going to go on. But I think Biden will probably get the nomination. Uh, and then, you know, from there. I wish him the best. I wish him good luck in defeating Donald yeah. Trump. I'll, I'll do whatever I can. Start taking some neurotropics, yeah. some lion's mane, and <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is that? What is that stuff like? Mo, like modafinil or something that like? Yeah, yeah it helps you regenerate jumps. some of yeah. your neural connections. Yeah. Any final thoughts on your end, Justin? Yeah, I would say that I I probably agree that it's going to be uh, Biden, Warren, Sanders as well. But just to kind of touch on Andrew Yang a bit, I think probably in one or two elections, he will be way more successful. I think he's probably kicking off his political career. He might get some sort of appointment this time or, or you know, maybe next time. Who knows? It, it'll just depend on next time a Democrat is elected. Hopefully it's this time. Um, and he, I, I think that he has a shot at some point in the future 
just not this time. Um, because yeah. we're going to start seeing the effects of automation, I think, more in eight years than we're seeing today. Like, there's going to be some really serious drop job loss, particularly if there's a recession and people have to cut back on human capital. There's mm -hmm. enough technology to automate. And if there's a recession and a lot of people are laid off, those people might not be hired again. Right. That might Yang be, might be five years early or four years early for the robot revolution yeah. to really be. Yeah, the, that yeah. might be what what kicks him off is is a recession. And then when we recover from the recession, that's when that's when the automation really takes hold. So that's that's my prediction regarding Yang. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Mm -hmm. Do you guys see that video of him? dancing at that senior center or something oh yeah doing line he's, dancing that he's was so having good. more fun than any other candidate mm -hmm. yeah and he views it as fun it, it's not like he views it it doesn't seem like he views it as a job like he's he's open about the fact that he's away from his family but he's he's definitely a family dude and, and yeah. wants to hang out with his kids and stuff and he's so likable like mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's also point out that he is a, you know, I think Pete Buttigieg is a millennial. Everyone else is a boomer. He's like the only one from Generation X, I think. Which, yeah. or no, actually, no, I, I think Kamala Harris and maybe Julian Castro and Beto are also Gen X, but they don't, Beto does this whole like, oh, it was like a rock star or something. Right. Like, like he was like, on stage and. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I was a punk. But I think Yang is the most. He seems the most. He's relatable generation. to all generations. It seems like, yeah, but definitely yeah. more so to like techies or Twitter crowd. Yeah. Uh, well, I th I like that he just embraces being lame. Like he's yeah. he's just like yeah, I'm lame. Like this is cool. <laughs> uh, it's the authenticity thing. I think authenticity right. is going to win the, you know. Yeah, that's the single biggest predictor in my mind as well. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely. definitely touch back on this topic as it gets closer to the election so i think that's a good place to put a pin in it for now and yeah thanks again so much brett for coming on I'm, we're going to send you a, a mic right after this so all of our <laughs> listeners can hear your lovely intonations even more and yeah sorry about that <laughs> no no not at all not at all but yeah thank you everyone for listening this has been the future of the democratic party part two what is currently and we'll see you next time and what will inevitably happen the past the present is the future
Hey futurists, if you've made it this far, you might be wondering who created the Hence the Future theme song. It was created by the Walden Brothers, and you can find them on Spotify. The Walden Brothers also produced the sound bites for the worst case, the best case, and the most likely future scenarios. At Hence the Future, we're always looking for ways to improve the quality of our episodes and our predictions. To that end, we're building a team of researchers to curate the most authoritative and highly vetted sources as the foundation for every episode. If you'd like to support these efforts, you can donate a small monthly amount at anchor.fm slash hence the future. And if you haven't done so already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support.